I feel like all the things that have worked the best for me is when I've been honest with myself and I've on, and yeah. I've tried not to be something that I'm not, or I've tried mm. to not go after goals that are really not truly who I am. I'm Todd Harrington, and you're listening to the Gray Matters Podcast. Along with my co-host, Tony Hoyland, each episode explores a special guest's lifelong passion. There'll be a bit of nostalgia, but mostly it's our guest's personal story of how they discovered their passion and how it evolved over the years. Welcome to the Gray Matters Podcast. Our guest today is Adam Rice. Adam's career in the entertainment industry has spanned over two decades. Currently, he runs Coastline Pictures, where he has directed numerous projects ranging from documentaries to television commercials for clients such as The Color Purple and 2016 Tony Award-winning musical Hamilton. More recently, Adam has directed Dare to Be, a documentary film not only on the sport of rowing, but also the human spirit. It doesn't end there. He's a talented musician, singer, songwriter for his band, Twist of Fate, which I love. It's the official band of good times. Uh, so that's all it is. They play good music and have fun doing it. I like that. Uh, he's won numerous awards. He also graduated from University of North Carolina uh, as the, under the, what's that, the Order of the Golden Fleece, which you can tell us a little bit about. Let's introduce our guest today, Mr. Adam Rice. Adam. Oh, th- hey everybody! Thank you, God. I feel uh, I feel already humbled. I'm like, okay, you already <laughs> we're only going down from there. <laughs> so, 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 dude, Hamilton and the color purple. Can't you ever get involved with like good projects? Yeah, really. <laughs> well, before we start, we got uh, this. There's that guy who just chimed in. He's another. He's got a cool voice himself. He's my co-host and talented musician in his own right, a professional voiceover, Tony Hoyland. There you go, Tony. Now you can talk. Hey, Adam. All right, so Adam, there's a lot to talk about. I mean, my God, it's you've done everything. And I think, uh, you know, as you know, The Great Matters is about passion and, and the journey in life and all that. So we'll do, go back a bit, you know, to talk about where this passion started. I mean, this is something, filmmaking, storytelling, music, has it been a part of your life from the start or did you stumble upon it? Give us a little backstory. So actually, I mean, I've been really lucky that I've pretty much my entire life had two major hobbies, and that's been making films and playing music. And so to kind of look back and have a career that that pretty much encompasses both those two, I've been incredibly fortunate and have just loved it. I was I was that kid that was that made the movies. I my parents bought me one of those eight millimeter uh, silent cameras and a little splicing machine, and I would uh, make uh, little films and splice them together on vacation, and uh, you know, I would do that. And then in high school, I um, joined a band, and uh, that was kind of the beginning of of my uh, playing music. And the two of them is just kind of kind of dovetailed throughout it. And I'd say the So not the school band. You went right into a band. You didn't do the So like, I actually yeah. was I actually was in a school band. I actually played I played trumpet. Um and it was funny because I think my mom wanted me to play trumpet, which I'm happy that she wanted me to go out and play like play an instrument. But I think trumpet was always her instrument and I always hated it. It hurt. Like it it, 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 hurts. it hurts. Like yeah, when hurts you play too. trumpet it like your lips like and like and I do believe that there's an instrument for everybody and trumpet was not that instrument for me. And and so when I was playing in band like in junior high and in high school, I, I, I really I sucked. I really wasn't very good at all. I was like six chairs and I think there were five trumpets. 
trumpets. And, um, and, and I, what I was really lucky was we had a really great band teacher. And, you know, the band was the, the, the high school band wasn't that good, but what was really cool about it was she was really good about like, um, instilling passion and like letting us like explore. And so, when she kind of saw that I wasn't very good at trumpet, but I still liked doing it, she kind of saw if I wanted to like try out the bass guitar. And we had a, um, I think it was like a, a school carnival, a fall carnival or whatever. And there was a guy that, so there was a, my good friend played the drums and another guy who was in the band, I don't know how he showed up, but he showed up and played, was playing electric guitar and they were playing stone songs. And I had grown up, my parents actually had, were big Rolling Stones fans. And in fact, one of the first words that I ever said was tones, tones, because my parents would put on um, the Between the Buttons album, yeah. the Rolling Stones album, and they would put it on and put me on my rocking horse, and then they'd go back to sleep, and I would just rock to the Stones. Oh and so my literally, God. it was yeah. one of my first, one of my first cool. things, which I'm actually tones, really... Tones, tones. Yeah, tones, tones. So, so we're at the, uh, at this school uh, carnival, and and this guy, George, is playing guitar, and they don't have anybody singing, and I, and they're, because they're playing Stone songs, I knew all those Stone songs, because I grew up doing it, so I just jumped on the mic and started singing Stone songs. Oh my God. That's great. And uh, and then we formed a band out of that. And then you know, I learned how to play bass guitar. And then and what's cool was because this whole event was kind of sponsored or I guess part of the school band, the band teacher really tried to encourage it. And so she let me, you know, she kind of was like, Yeah, Adam, you should like, why don't you try playing bass or singing instead nice. of uh, playing trumpet? <laughs> please, please put the yeah, trumpet exactly, down. Yeah. Exa exactly. <laughs> so that kind of was how my music like how my music passion started. And then when I um, went to UNC. I actually, so I was playing in bands and I had to, just to jump back, I took a year off. I took a gap year between uh, high school and college and, and lived in Ireland. And I actually formed a band in Ireland. So I was playing music a lot in Ireland and the band took off pretty well. And we actually wrote a couple songs and had a song um, called Salt Hill Summers, which, which I penned as... Uh, as Ireland's first beach music song, and uh, <laughs> and it got some radio play, which was kind of fun. And and uh, so when I showed up at, at Carolina, I was kind of thinking I was going to be a music major, or I was, I was either going to be a music major or a philosophy major. Not sure why I thought philosophy, but one of those two. And I was kind of debating about it. And then in my, uh, I think my one of my second class, second semesters, I took a. Um, a television class, which I felt really guilty about because they were telling us like to watch television and stuff. And, and I was like, I'm good at this. At the same time, I, so I grew up in Chapel Hill, which is where UNC is. Uh, okay. And there's a big radio station is very popular. WXYC in, uh -huh. in Chapel Hill is kind of like FUV out here. Like it's like, it's like one of the kind of top college radio stations. And so I really wanted to work at WXYC. And so when I got there, I was like, okay, I'm going to apply to work for WXYC. So my freshman year, I go and I show up. I'm like, I played in a band in, in Ireland. We had like, you know, people liked our stuff. And I met with the music director. He asked me some stuff and he didn't get it. And I, I, I didn't get it. I didn't get a DJ shot spot. So the next semester, I try again, didn't get it. So the third time I thought, I'm like, I'll take like three o'clock in the morning. I don't care. I just want to be on the radio. I want to be on XYC. And he turned me down a third time. So Jeez. finally... So finally, by that point, and this is like for free too. So I'm like, I, I must really like, there must have been something he didn't like about me. Yeah. And right across the hall was student television. And so I was like, you know, at this point, yeah, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to go over and check out what student television has to offer. And I got involved with that and I 
worked on a variety show and stuff, and they were kind of coming up with ideas and wanted me to come up with ideas. And so one of the ideas that I came up with is I had a lot of, I had all these friends that were acting majors that were doing undergraduate uh, theater at Carolina, but there really was, no one was really seeing them. And I noticed that student television, which was like a fledgling um, television station, technically was actually pretty good. I mean, we were kind of doing we had good equipment, the cameras looked good, but the talent was terrible because it was like all of like all of us technical people trying to be on camera at the same time and which yeah. is just, you know, awful. I was like, why don't we create it? Why don't I create a show that we incorporate real actors? And we, you know, we try novel. There's and we a concept. have like yeah, we right. have the actors be the actors and we have the uh and then we have the technical side, you know, uh produce it. And I was like, Okay, and then then in my television classes, which I had started taking, they were like, they said, you know, write what you know. So I was like, well, why don't we do um, a college soap opera? I was actually dating Dana, my wife, at the time. We were dating at the time. And and she was a big uh, soap opera fan, and so she kind of like it was. I'd kind of started watching them a little bit. So we, I created or we created this uh, college soap opera called General College. And and so General College ended up uh, starting. And one of the things that I'm really proud of is to this day, General College is still on the air. Oh, my God. It's the longest running soap opera, college soap opera. There you go. (laughs) And it was pretty cool. And and like and one of my first actors who I auditioned and was like my star of my show for all the time I was there was Billy Crudup. And so it was just fun. Like we had a bunch of other people that have gone on. Brian Tucker, who is uh, currently the head writer of Saturday Night Live, came up to me at a, re- a reunion thing a couple of years ago and was like, yeah, Adam, the first uh, script I ever wrote was for General College. And so like, it's oh kind of fun God. to wow. see like some of the alums and stuff. So, That's so um, Billy went on to be in some a short film of yours, correct? Yeah, Billy then, yeah. Then, you know, I kind of was like, Billy, <laughs> cashing those favors <laughs> in and stuff. But yeah, so that was, so that really kind of was, and so the success of General College is really what, what kind of launched my career. And then that just- explains Guiding Light. Okay. Yeah, so that's where go. everything went. And then just to, uh, you mentioned it really quickly in the open. So the- the Order of the Golden Fleece is a um, it's like an honorary society for like outstanding contribution for, to the UNC community, right. and it's kind of like Skull and Bones at Yaler, so oh, it's okay. UNC's version of that. Gotcha. And because of my creation of General College, I got nominated and inducted into um, the Golden Fleece. And one of the funny things was is at, in the induction ceremony when I got inducted into it. Um, the manager of WXYC, the college radio station that I got turned down three times for, as part of like the speeches or whatever, was like, um, I'd like to take cre- credit for Adam's success. Oh my God. Oh <laughs> and he was, of course, God. saying it very tongue in cheek. He's yeah. like, if I oh, had okay. not, if I had not uh, turned him down three times, he would have never have walked across the hall. That's true. And started true. in general. Very college. twisted, uh, twisted. <laughs> uh, exactly. So, That's you know, I, we, we had a good laugh. But in, on the other hand, I do actually always think of that. And I actually use that as kind of motivation for other things that I've kind of done in my life and stuff is that kind of idea of like one, you know, if one door doesn't open maybe there's a window down you know down the way that you can kind of sneak into and it could be better so yeah so. you kind of mentioned a lot in your your documentary stuff perseverance and motivation but it, it's good you didn't persevere too much with the radio station because you did a bit and quite a bit but then you finally saw as you said you said listen this isn't working so let's pivot down the hall and things changed for you uh, because of that which was you know it's a big deal so you knew you know how to find the, the next opportunity with one in front of you may not be working ac- perfectly for you, which is possibly saying. 
Yeah, yeah, and I think I think and I think that's part of the perseverance. In a lot of my career and a lot of my opportunities that have happened for me and, and I've been very fortunate for a lot of a lot of great things that have happened. But it's some of it's like being at the right place at the right time. Right. But I think part of being at the right place at the right time is you can kind of position yourself. Like, you know, mm -hmm. you can kind of make choices that will potentially put you at places that may or may not be the right choice, right at the right time, but at least you made some actions to be like, okay, XYC's not working out, the college isn't work, you know, that the college radio is not working out, but I really like doing music and television and stuff. Well, hey, maybe that maybe there's something else that I can explore that will still let me, you know, kind of see what my passions are and and follow them. You know, yeah, it's a strategic a strategy to your journey, so to speak. You can exactly. have a little bit yeah. of a plan. Well, yeah. it, it's it's a good segue into uh, I mean, your past is amazing, but also the whole idea with Dare to Be and the films that come out to that, they represent perseverance and, and not just the, in the human spirit. And you've obviously grown quite a bit. And then we can we'll start talk about that a bit and then how it has affected you personally and your other goals and endeavors. But how did Dare to Be come about the first part of this the documentary? Um, so that was um, my oldest daughter, Jordan, in, I believe it was eighth grade, um, was kind of looking for an activity to get in, to get involved in. And, mm -hmm. and kind of the, the traditional, the traditional kind of hand-eye sports weren't working so well for her. And we in a family have always been athletic. So we were kind of looking and, and we, and, and Dana, my wife and I always have kind of felt, and we kind of talked about this when we started having kids and stuff is that we felt it was very important for our kids to have to play some sport or have some sort of physical activity. We didn't mm -hmm. care what it was and we didn't care how good they all were. They just, we just wanted them to have kind of a, that being able to be active and, and feel positive about, you and know, discipline, kind of yeah, exact yeah. that. And then to play some form of musical instrument. And those were oh. kind of two things we just wanted them to have like access to and be, or be somewhere involved in the arts. Right. So she tried a bunch of stuff, uh, kind of the hand eye stuff, and it wasn't working. So, so Dana and I had kind of like scratched our head and we're like, okay, well, where else can we kind of find for her? So we, we did some kind of out of the box looking and we gave her three options. And the three options was either rowing, um, rock climbing, because of the rock climbing wall down in New, uh, in New Rochelle, or, and also she's a big um, Harry Potter fan, and we actually found that there is a Quidditch League in oh Westchester County. <laughs> oh, no way. <laughs> yeah, honest to God. And we had actually seen, we'd, we'd actually like, right when this was all happening, we had been in the city and had stumbled, uh, stumbled across the, the Quidditch uh, World Cup, which was taking place in a, in a, uh, playground in uh manhattan oh and God. it was it was crazy and like there are all these schools from like all over the country you know were there were participating and it was nuts and so we gave her this option of these three choices and she chose ro rowing so she ended up showing up um at pelham community rowing in pelham and having never done anything with rowing and initially i think initially she liked it because she liked the image of it but what i started noticing was is that she started like really like loving it and taking to it and so i you know as a filmmaker and i started bringing my camera out and started shooting races and just for fun and just having races because you're excited that your kid's doing a sport and i started noticing that the, the sport really was like changing her like drastically and like she was getting like incredible like 
um, just feeling very positive about herself and, and positive awareness and just, and, and, was, and it was excelling in the sport as well. And I st- as I started talking to other parents, I noticed that her story wasn't alone. Like it was very much the same of people who kind of didn't really find their, their place. And then in rowing, they found their place. And so I had thought, and then all of a sudden I was like, well, this is, this sounds like bigger than just shooting stuff. There's a story in this. And, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like good, good stories come to you. They don't, you don't find them, they find you. And this mm-hmm. was one of those. So that was kind of the beginning of it. And what was, I mean, what was interesting is that my friends who've been rowers in, in, in college, they said, you know, you just have to be somewhat crazy and your, your back and your knees, but there is this come camaraderie, this, this drive that they all had that was, and I think the lessons are pretty simple. You, you do the work, you get results, but it's really about, um, I, I think I watch on your film, like uh, maybe the 193rd stroke is crappy, but the 194th could be great. Like it's always about moving forward with that yeah. and it's drive, teaching you that drive and the human spirit. So yeah, no, I agree. I think that's the other thing. I think there's a lot of metaphors in rowing. I mean, there's a lot right. of metaphors in sports across the, across the board. Um, mm-hmm. Hence why, I, and I'm a big sports fan movie. Like I like watching sports movies and stuff, and, but I feel like rowing has some pretty clean, like some pretty clear stuff. I mean, like one of the things that was, I was blown away with is, is that the amount amount of time spent on the water um, and the amount of practicing versus the amount of time that you're actually participating in the That's sport true. is yeah. so mm. skewed to the, to, again, in a un, an unbalanced way. I mean, you figure like if you're playing basketball or soccer or something like that, like you can be doing scrimmages as part of practice where practice of rowing is you're just rowing, you know, and, right. and you only race, you only have like, you know, five or six races an entire year. And there's yeah. only really a wow. couple of them that really are like, a big deal. And other than that, that's it. But if you're going to be any good and you're going to actually win those races, you have to be out in the water five days a week, or at least on the erg, or, you know, like you're going to, you have to be doing it all the time. Like swimming, like skiing, all those things, the amount of time and rowing you put in for the actual event, the actual is crazy. It's crazy. And And if something goes wrong, like, oh my God, that's it. You know, you're done. It's the, the, the disappointment could be intense. Exactly. And it's cool. And it's like, I loved, like, I love that idea of, um, those long-term goals, which, which I hadn't up until really making the movie and stuff. I, I hadn't been really great at. I'm a pretty, I was, I think I still pretty am a, a little bit of an instant gratification person. Like I like my, you know, I like things to happen now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I want that cocktail now. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and to have ideas where you're like literally thinking of, something a year in advance or two right. years in advance right. and you're training for that and that you actually, and then to be able to follow this journey. Um, cause the film, I actually spent four years shooting it and to actually, so like see that journey, like evolve in real time and stuff was pretty cool. Dare to be films came out of the documentary, obviously dare to be. And I saw one of the other ones you did women's sports foundation, the disability inclusion. I was so impressed with the, the, the motivation you must along the way, you've been so motivated, inspired by some of these films you've done and, and definitely dis- disabled athletes were just inspirational for me. Uh, how did that come about that, that film? So, um, so what it was oh, actually, thank you. And, and, and that's, and it has been, I mean, one of the things that I've really enjoyed doing, um, with these projects. And, and, and one of the reasons why I started Dare to Be Films was exactly as you said, the kind of the inspiration. And, and it's funny how like, once again, things find you. And mm-hmm. once you start, once you start going down a path that you're following a passion or you're following something that you're interested in, other things happen to follow suit. So in the process of making Dare to Be, the movie, um, and, you know, so I'm making a movie on women's women's rowing and there was a lot of stuff and there really hadn't been any movies about women's rowing. Um, you start getting, 
either sponsorship or people that uh, that start getting interested or contacts that you start making that start seeing your work and are like, oh, we'd love for you to be involved in this and that. So right. I got involved with the Women's Sports Foundation, which is an absolutely fantastic organization mm-hmm. um, started by Billie Jean King. Oh, and wow. okay. it was initially really started to kind of support and fight for Title IX, and now they still kind of do that. But then it's a lot of other issues as well, as well as and just basically inclusion across the board. And one of the things mm-hmm. that I really love about Billie Jean King and her mission is it's she's always been about um, equality, and it's always been about equality across the board. Which means it's not it's not minimizing anybody else. Like she's not trying to take anything away from men or anybody else that's that are currently doing things. She just wants a, she just all she wants is a, a level playing field across the board. And so it's and it really so it really truly is equality. I love that, and I love that she is like you know reaching out for whether it be you know um, you know all the types of inclusion. So um, I've really loved. Uh, working with them and doing projects and passionate stuff like that. That so, like, was just an amazing film to watch. I watched. Yeah, the disability like, wow. accessibility. Oh, yeah, the disability God. accessibility was one of these things that when I was listening to the interviews and stuff, like I was getting teary eyed and I was like, "Wow, yeah, this is yeah. so cool." I've got and to see this, this. It was fun. It was pretty cool. Wow. Well, the, I, I I also saved uh, till the end to talk about your passion for music and your band called Twist of Fate. I love the official band of Good Times play good music, and have fun doing it. When you go to one of your guys' performances, it's a good time. So Hell tell yes. us a little bit about um, that band, how it formed, and what you know your journey there. Uh, well, first, thank you very much. Uh, that's, that has been our goal, I think, every time we play, is that at the end of the day, we want it to be a fun a fun night. You know, I, I, I've always kind of tried to model it after what do I want to see? When I go to see a exactly. band, yeah. I just want to have a good I want to have a good time, you know, right, and... Right. Yes, part of the having a good time is the you know the musicianship needs to be good and stuff, but it also just has to be fun and and just. I always have a big smile on my face when people you know go to a show and say, "Oh, we had so much fun." I'm like, "Good, that was the yeah, key. That's yeah. what I want." <laughs> um, so yeah, so so I mean, Twist of Fate has been uh, Dana and I, my wife, she and I have had Twist of Fate for uh, wow, probably twenty five years, 30 wow. years, something like that, in one form or another. Um, it formed back when we were living in the city. Uh, and I was I was on Guiding Light, working on Guiding Light, the soap opera. We uh, formed it with a couple actors from Guiding Light and uh, started just playing. Dana and I actually were street performers at um, South Street Seaport. Oh, um, wow. Which was so... F- Tony, have you ever street performed? Never, never. It's awesome. You would love it. It actually is really... I, I would, I would, I would do it. You know, I, I think, I think it would be cool. I'd li- it's, really it's, like to do it. It is really awesome, and it's like so. The the art form is it's very popular in in Europe. It's called busking. Yeah, um, is is the art form of of street performing, and mm. and what's and what's fun about it. So like programs like South Street Seaport and um, music under New York, like so all the subway, all the mm-hmm. all the people you see you know, playing in the in the mm-hmm. subways, mm-hmm. you audition to be able to play at the spots. So oh, like, wow. so both of those two places, like there's an organization that oversees it. And I don't, I know for like South, South Street, what you did is you would audition and you would get like a badge that made you, uh, you know, an official South Street um, uh, busker. And then you would, every week or month or whatever, they would put out, they would put out a, a uh, like there are certain locations that you were, you were allowed to street perform. And then you would fill out when, you know, like 
your availability and like, I want the pure apron at this time. I want this. And there were certain places that oh, were like wow. the more desirable places that you wanted. And so you kind of just kind of like jockeyed for position to get them. And then you generally get like two hour time, time um, spots to be able to do it. But the fun part about it is, is that like, I feel like part of like how I perform with Twist of Fate now, or actually a big part portion of how I perform with Twist of Fate now was rooted in street performing at South Street Seaport. Because when you street perform, you get instant gratification, like you get instant feedback. Like if they yeah. like a song, they hang out. And if they don't, they leave. Mm -hmm. And so like learning to play the crowd, learning to watch people's faces, learning to see how they react, learning what songs to try to throw out at people to get them to stay, to get them to pitch into your hat and then to not wise, um, you know, that's, it just takes, it took a lot of seasons to actually learn that. And so I, I do that now with Twist of Fate. And, and one of the things that, that any new musician to Twist of Fate will, uh, I think always kind of baffles them a little bit is that I think it's been years since I've ever had a playlist with, with Twist of Fate. Like we'll go into every show with no playlist. Oh my God. So okay. I never know what I'm playing next. Um, and if I don't know, the rest of the band doesn't know either. Uh, well, stressful, yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean, I will literally be playing a song. Like I'll be in the middle of like, gosh, she's my brown eyed girl. And then I'll be thinking in, in my inner dialogues, okay, who's up? What are they dancing? What am I going to play next? What am I going to follow up? Am I going to do, <laughs> am I going to stay John Cougar and do wild nights? Or am I going to like, am I going to like take a left turn and go like Luke Bryan and go into country, you know, country girls and see if like this group likes, likes uh, country music, or am I going to like go Motown because I see some people over on the side that aren't dancing that might be maybe, you know, hit them with a little bit of Stevie wonder might, might work or whatever. So, uh, you definitely feel the energy and the shift and like you feel it spontaneous. I've been to one of your shows and obviously Tony has as well, but you feel that it's not planned completely. It's nice to hear that. That you just kind of I literally, somewhat winging it. Yeah. But I you literally know, wing it. winging it. Yeah. I literally yeah. wing it. And, and as Keeps we try to, that's what I try, you know, and I, I think that's key. And I think like when people ask, like when, when we're learning new songs, a lot of the new songs that we're learning is more, it's more about like what I need in the tank um, so like, like, let's say, let's say we go down to the country route. Like we started adding some country songs a few years ago and, and they started working. And if like all of a sudden I find out I'm running out of country songs and, mm. and I want more then I'm like, okay, we got to learn some more country songs. Like where, what are these songs? Like if I go down this, this side, I need more in my pocket if, if that's the direction that, that the audience takes us or whatever. So we kind of, will do that. But in band practice, we generally will just throw it, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty like, fair game to be like the crazier it is that you throw it out there i'm like yeah sure i'll try it <laughs> you know well the uh, tony any other thoughts for adam or questions i mean this has been a, a really, great conversation man. i mean, I I mean adam the motivation that you i feel in the positive energy that you bring to your music and your film i mean it it, it just resonates through this on this call and I, I hope the listeners will love that and be inspired to say it's never too late to do and start that journey now any closing uh, words of wisdom from you, or is that too much pressure right now? I mean, <laughs> I guess I w wouldn't so much as, as wisdom. I get. I guess it's more uh, my own mantra right. of what I do. There you, you go. Know, Mantra's what better than wisdom. What, what I do. Wisdom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, is I would say that I feel like all the things that have worked the best for me is when I've been honest from uh, honest with myself, and I've on and yeah. I've tried not to be something that I'm not, or I've tried mm. to not go after goals that are really not truly who I am. An example, an example of this 
would be that for the most part in, in Twist of Fate, um, we primarily play covers. Um, and we probably pick our covers based on, obviously, what we were just talking about. But we have written original material and performed that original material. Now, to me, original material is always kind of weird. I'm so, because of the fact that I'm always, like, reading the crowd and wanting the crowd to like us and stuff like that, you know, throwing an, throwing an original out is always tough for me because I want to make sure the original doesn't kill the buzz and kill what's going on. So there was this one particular original song that I had written um, and it, the story was my roommate from college had called me, was always, had always been very supportive of my work in the band and stuff I'd done. And it had said, Adam, I've got, a, I've got a favor to ask of you. And, um, completely seriously, he was like, my sister-in-law had gotten herself into trouble and actually had gotten, um, arrested and thrown into Jamaican prison for trying to smuggle marijuana back into the, uh, country. Um, <laughs> And it was like that kind of that whole classic thing that you'd seen like on um, the movie of the week or whatever. And so he'd said, and so when he when he specifically said it, she was currently sister-in-law who was this very, or still is, a very attractive, blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl was literally in a Jamaican prison in Jamaica and um, had written this poetry while in, um, in prison. And had sent it to my roommate, him, and he had asked if I would write a song to the lyric, to using her poetry as the lyrics. I was like really honored by it and a little bit kind of like, kind of like very intimidated and be like, oh my God, sure, I'll do it. And so because of that, I had a really hard time um, uh, like getting started because I was kind of like, I can't like just make it like a jingly like reggae tune sure. or something like that. Yeah. Like this is serious. Like this is like real stuff. And so I kept um, kind of putting it off and Jeff, my roommate would call me and be like, Adam, you got it done, you got it done. I'm like, no, no. So um, we finally, the summertime came around and we were, the band was going down. We used to play down at North Carolina. We'd do a trip down to North Carolina every year and we were playing down in North Carolina. And as I was going down, Jeff was like, I'm planning on coming to one of your shows. Are you going to be doing the new song? And I was like, okay, Ooh. now I have. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Get to work, quick. <laughs> I better get it done. So. While on while on the trip down in North Carolina, I was sitting kind of looking out across the North Carolina beach coastal coast, and I and I wrote the song, and then I kind of put it to music and stuff. And I and the thought was, okay, it's really rough, but I'm I'm working on it. And I knew that we were playing two weekends. We were playing like this one um, place on the Saturday Sunday, and then a week later we we're playing at the Dock House down down the road. And I had thought that, that, that Jeff was going to be coming to the Dock House uh, the week later. So I was like, I'm going to try it out the, the first week um, at the Sheraton while we're playing there. And then we'll try it out, work any kinks out, and then it'll be ready for him when he sees it the next week. So I, I show up at the Sheraton to see that Jeff is actually there the first yeah, night boy. I'm planning on playing it. Oh, no. <laughs> and not only is he there, but she is there, too. Oh, my wow. God. As well as her mom. <laughs> oh Jesus! Bring the whole family. <laughs> exactly, and they are all there, and and there, and I'm like, I'm gonna play this song. There's tropical depression brewing in my head. My eyes are thunderclouds. Face the riverbed. The only thing worse is the hurricane in my heart. Both caused by the prison walls that keep my love apart. 
foreign land, far away from kin, threatened and resented for the color of my skin. And what was wild was I played it. And it was one of the few times that I've ever like had kind of that outer body experience when I'm when, whenever playing. And wow. and it was, I was playing it, um, I wasn't thinking about all the other people who were at the, and it, this was kind of like, the, this gig was like a pool party kind of thing. So it really was, and this song was more, it's called Tropical Depression. It really wasn't something that was like a dance tune. And I literally just remembered like I was playing it for three people. I was playing it for Lynn, Jeff, and Lynn's mom. And that was it. And, and a lot of it was like very introverted. And when I finished the song, there was like, initially there was like kind of quiet and then there was like, it had connected with everybody. And I wasn't trying to connect with anybody. I was just trying to honestly play it the best I could for them to try to honor her. And it was interesting. It was just like, it was one of those moments that I was, pro- it was probably the best received original song I've ever, performance I've ever done. Mm. And I wasn't trying to appease the masses. Like that's the key. You weren't trying. Like at that point, I didn't being yourself. I didn't care what the masses thought. I only cared about those those people right there. And Mm so I think that's. I kind of think about that as being like the stuff that really has always worked the best for me is the stuff where I'm just being honest and I'm doing it and I'm throwing it out there and doing the best I can and and then letting the chips fall where it may. It sounds like you said something earlier, knowing yourself, knowing what you can do. I mean, it's not trying to be something else, but you know your, I don't say your limitations, but you understand your abilities and where to go with it each time. Yeah. I mean, you try, you know, or at least, at least try, you know, you honestly try and then see what happens. And I think the other big thing is being okay with failing. You know, I, I, Absolutely. I think a lot of, you know, whether it be a performance, whether it be a film, whether it be an edit, whatever else, you know, if you're going to take risks to truly take risks, you got to be okay with it, with it failing, you know, you try, exactly. you exactly. know, and so I think Definitely. that's it. I think, I think some of the best performances and films and stuff like that have come out of what would have initially been a failure. Maybe that's sure, even yeah. back, back to like, you know, technically the failure was that I didn't get, uh, Hired at XYC. The radio yeah. gig. Exactly. And if All God, right. if, I, would have been different. if I hadn't done that, we wouldn't be talking today, probably. Exactly. <laughs> we would have a totally different guest. I wouldn't yeah, be hanging out you. with you fine folks. <laughs> Jeez, this has been amazing. Adam, Tony, thank you. Uh, what a great story. What a great journey that it continues. You've motivated me. Thanks so much. Thanks, have Adam. a great weekend. Oh, Take thanks for easy. having me. Thank you, everybody. enjoyed this episode of the gray matters podcast please rate and review and be sure to tell your friends too for more information about this podcast go to thegraymatters.org and please subscribe to the gray matters wherever you get your podcast i'd like to thank my guest adam rice my co-host tony hoyland and a special thanks to you the listener i'm todd harrington until next time